Capturing off-camera experiences of everyday harassment. Photographer Eliza Hatch retelling stories on film in the hope of giving women the courage to speak out. And they were getting closer and closer and it was very uncomfortable. The thing that everybody told me was not to say anything. One of them kept on staring at me and then later he sat next to me and started touching my stuff and he tried to put his hand under my shorts. You know, no one intervened. She was only 15 when she was walking home from school and was approached by a man in a van. Um, I noticed that he actually parked up the van, got out of the van and opened the doors. Uh, the conductor tapped my ass. And they carried on following me. His hand was going up my skirt and I, my body somehow froze and I was in full-blown panic mode. Cheer up, love, a phrase sometimes shouted at women on the street. They're photographed in places where harassment has happened. Catcalling to curb crawling, this campaign covers it all. Hello and welcome to the Cheer Up Love podcast with me, your host, Eliza Hatch. This is a podcast based on the photo series Cheer Up Love, a campaign I started in 2017 dedicated to retelling stories of sexual harassment. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing a number of artists, activists and creatives about their work and discussing your submitted stories of sexual harassment with the aim of dismantling myths and challenging some of the things that become normalised in our day-to-day lives. Joining me today, I have a good friend of mine, the wonderful Sophie Sandberg. Sophie is a gender rights activist, but you'll probably know her from the incredibly successful platform she created, Cat Calls of NYC. If you are unfamiliar with Cat Calls of NYC, then pull up Instagram on your phone and check it out right now. Sophie started chalking her experiences of sexual harassment directly onto the pavement in 2016, and it has since grown into a huge platform with nearly 200,000 followers and over 150 catcalls accounts around the world. Sophie has created a global movement and worked with organisations like UNESCO, and has been featured by Forbes, The New York Times, and many, many more. So join me now to listen to our conversation, and just to trigger one, we will be discussing an experience of street harassment later in the show. Just as a side note, this episode was recorded right in the middle of lockdown. Hi Sophie, how are you? Hey Eliza, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. How's uh, how's lockdown been treating you? So far, so good. It's been challenging, but it feels like finally we're starting to open up a little bit. People are outside more, so I'm starting to feel excited for what's to come. Yeah, same, definitely. It's um it's been very strange not being in New York at the moment and seeing all of the stuff that's been going on from a distance. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been a crazy time in New York with all of the protests and everything going on with Black Lives Matter and uh, it's been really cool to see how many people are going out to protest even amidst the pandemic. Yes, that's probably worth mentioning. At the time of recording this episode, we are in the midst of a global pandemic and also the Black Lives Matter protests. But I see that you've been chalking on the pavement as a sign of protest. And I was wondering, have you been adapting that for the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, I think it's so important that social media and all of us are kind of switching over and taking a break from whatever we normally do and focusing it on Black Lives Matter, because that is what is going on right now and that's what all of us should be focusing on and using our platforms to address. So I've been chalking a lot of my team members from Cat Calls of NYC have been chalking names of Black people murdered in the U.S. by police. Um, So we've been really trying to, like I said, use our platform to shed light on what's going on and how it's been going on for a long time 
but how this moment is especially powerful to have everyone speaking up about it together. Yeah, I think that's worth mentioning how this moment feels so powerful and for using your platform to talk about current issues. It feels like the first time in a really long time that everyone across social media, no matter what their activism is and their specialities are, everyone has kind of been galvanized by this movement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people are feeling pushed more than ever to speak out. And I also wonder how much people are feeling kind of guilty for not speaking out. I think there's some interesting dynamics on social media going on right now where um, I think we could talk more about this, but performative activism versus real activism and allyship. Um, But I, I think there are a lot of interesting dynamics and a lot of people are speaking out about it which is good Um, but there are definitely some intricacies to how people are speaking out on social media um yeah yeah there's a whole there's a whole lot I mean we could talk about performative activism for for ages and I'm not sure how far we would get um it's a it's quite it's quite an interesting time um but let's talk a bit more about your chalking what kind of inspired you to start chalking in specific and and also specifically experiences of catcalls directly onto the pavement? So I was inspired to start chalking catcalls on the streets because I had faced street harassment growing up in New York City since I was a teenager. And I always felt like the experiences I had were belittled as just words. I was told this was not the biggest problem to focus on. This wasn't the most serious problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, early on, I had experiences with my parents where they just told me to ignore it, where my dad told me to dress differently. Um, And in general, with my friends, even I felt like it wasn't something we were talking about Mm -hmm. a lot, probably because we were getting a lot of the same feedback that it's not really a big deal. And we don't need to focus on it. Um, But for me, it felt like a huge deal all the time, because it impacted, like for so many of us, you know, how I dressed, how I felt in public spaces, when I would go outside, how I would feel when I was deciding to go outside. Um, So there were a lot of ways in which I felt like the problem needed to be addressed in a bigger way. It needed to be focused on more. And that's why I wanted to take it back to the streets, because I wanted people to see exactly what was being said and what impact these words actually have when you're reading them walking down the streets. Um, you know, I decided to use chalk because it's it's colorful and it catches people's attention. But mainly, like I said, I wanted people to see that these are not just words. These comments have a huge impact on people. That's so interesting because I've had so many experiences like that myself growing up where you kind of, you experience something and someone close to you, like a friend or a family member just says, oh, you know, you know, that's just men being men or that's not such a big deal kind of thing. And you do learn to assimilate it into your life really early on. And it's interesting that, we, well, we, we both decided to do something about it, but it's interesting that you kind of, you inherently knew like this is wrong and everyone's saying it's fine, but it doesn't feel fine did you feel like you were doing something out of the ordinary? Did you feel like you were being bold in a way when you first started doing it? Were you nervous even about what people would say? Yeah. And I wonder if I knew that it was wrong from the beginning or if that was something I had to kind of come to terms with over the years. I'm not sure what that moment was when I realized this is wrong. Mm. I think I was increasingly fed up with it and that's why I wanted to do something about it. And I was fed up with the fact that I couldn't respond in the moment and I felt silenced. 
every single time I've been catcalled, every single time I've experienced any level of harassment, you are in that moment silenced. It's it's very rare for you to think of a, a quick fire comeback and be ready with something you can sort of fire back at them. You're in a sense powerless because I don't, no, no matter how much this is part of our day-to-day lives it's not something that you are prepared for but when it happens it's well for me at least it's always just as shocking I find yeah absolutely I, I agree it's always just as shocking and even now as both of us are fighting back against it 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 doesn't take away those moments when it's still shocking when it still feels like a loss of power um yeah definitely and yeah no just to go back to what you were asking before about if I felt like it was a, a bold thing and if I was nervous about how people would respond. Oh, yeah, I that was my question. Was. That was the question, <laughs> that yeah. That was the question. <laughs> um, I, I was definitely really nervous. And I think this is actually one of the most interesting parts of doing this project because there's a lot of nervousness around how people will react to mm. me writing down these words since the words do have such a big impact since they are so vulgar and often so so shocking. I'm always still pretty nervous to see how people will respond, what the various reactions are from parents, from maybe older people who might not be so, you know, happy to see curse words on the street. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely a nerve wracking process. And when I was 19 and first starting the project, I was very shy to talk to people and really nervous about how they would respond to me writing these words on the streets. Did you ever get told off for writing directly onto the pavement? All the time. Really? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, most recently I was writing a story of online harassment and this woman was saying, you know, you really can't write um, the the word was masturbate. She said, you really can't write that word on the street. That's children will see it. Um, you know, how can you be doing that? And she, she seemed really angry. She seemed like she wanted to, I don't know, maybe erase it or call the police or do something um, because she just kept kind of standing by and looking back at it and saying it's completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that type of thing happens a lot mainly from parents wanting to protect protect their children. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are just really taken aback. Maybe sometimes if it's too close to a store or close to an apartment building where someone lives, a lot of people have bad reactions if they feel like it's intruding on their space in some way. Um, so yeah, it's, all, it's always really interesting to see when when people are trying to to tell us to stop doing this. It's interesting that people take offense to seeing the words written down on the pavement when someone can shout that at you on the street and it can be heard by so many more people and it can have so, so much more of a damaging effect on somebody, yet just repeating it and chalking it onto the pavement is somehow unacceptable and offensive to children. Right, yeah, it is. it is so interesting because in a way, writing it in chalk has so much less of an impact than having it yelled at you but I think that there is like you say so much more of a response from people seeing the chalk versus maybe witnessing an instance of harassment for sure. 
So we both use art as a way of engaging in activism. Do you think it's easier to get people on board with your messaging this way by, by making it visual, by making it something that they can sort of like tangibly engage in? Absolutely. So both with Catcalls of NYC and also all of the other Catcalls of accounts around the world, a lot of them are run by young people, by people Mm. who are in high school still, maybe at university, young adults. So I think that specifically using chalk and using kind of this hands-on method of going into the streets and doing something colorful and kind of exciting and, and fun I think it does attract more people that way. And I think any method of artistic protest and resistance attracts younger folks specifically, um, because I think it's an exciting way to fight back and to address a problem. Yeah, and also both of our movements were birthed through social media and both came about just before the Me Too movement. How do you think that social media has had an impact on, on your particular activism? Yeah, I mean, I think that I couldn't have started what I started without using social media. I think social media is a powerful tool to share stories and to connect and to create a network of activists. It's really, it's an amazing thing. Um, And specifically with the Me Too movement, using social media, but also the Me Too movement in general, I think provided a platform for a lot of other activists to be noticed and to be kind of incorporated into something bigger. Um, I think the Me Too movement also made the world pay attention. Um, And of course, the Me Too movement was also spread via social media. And that's how it went Mm. viral. Um, So yeah, I think social media is a really necessary tool. That being said, what I do, it's also on the street. So using both spaces, the public space, and also social media is really important. But Social media is what has allowed it to grow to the point where it has grown to. It's allowed people to share stories, a lot of people anonymously, and it's also allowed it to spread around the world to engage other activists. Um, Yeah, I never would have imagined it spreading like it had, and I think social media completely is to thank for that. I think it's definitely worth mentioning now that your platform is huge. You've created something completely global. There's a cat calls account in how many cities or how many countries it seems like there's hundreds and hundreds of them yeah i think i mean it's hard to keep track but there are about 150 active cat calls of accounts around the world um in 49 countries approximately wow, that's incredible that's so mad did you ever think that when you started chalking experiences onto the pavement that you know it would be kind of replicated like this and it would have grown and so many people would have got on board with your movement no, I never, I never could have imagined that because for me, like I said, it was very personal. Yeah. And if anything, it was actually a way for me to feel some release and some sort of power over something that I had no power over for so many years. So it's been so, so amazing to see how people can so easily replicate it in their cities. I mean, I, I think that everyone who joins is really brave and, and really powerful, but I think part of why it has spread and why it's been able to spread is that you don't need a certain level of experience or, you know, you don't need to be an artist. You can just begin writing the phrases on the pavement. So it's, it's been really 
yeah, really exciting and surprising <laughs> to see how much it's grown for sure. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel about letting it go out into the world? Because it was your baby, you know, you sort of started this thing. And as you said, it came from somewhere really, really personal. Did you have any doubts or other sort of mixed feelings about other people sort of going out there and doing what you do? Or did you just feel like, I'm happy other people are doing this? Yes, go for it from day one. That's a good question. I think that's still something that I'm thinking through. I do think at first I felt a certain ownership and connection specifically with Cat Calls of NYC because actually I was doing it for about two years before the account was recognized and picked up and spread far and wide. So I felt like Cat Calls of NYC and what I was doing became such a close part of my identity. And like you said, it's my baby for sure. And it's still my baby. (laughs) But I think pretty quickly, I was able to recognize that the more it can spread and the, the wider it grows, the better it is. I mean, this was something, yes, that was personal, but it's something that is really universal. Street harassment is completely universal. It's a collective experience. Mm -hmm. And the more people get involved, the better it is. I think what was more difficult at first was in New York, I was the only one who was chalking. I was the only one collecting the stories and writing them down on the streets. And growing the New York team, I think, was a difficult step for me because I did feel so much Mm. connection to what I was doing and so much like like I said, I felt like being Cat Calls of NYC was part of my identity. Mm -hmm. So growing it to more of a team effort in New York was super important also to realize that New York is a big place. And even in New York, we're a collective of people doing this. It's not about me, even though I did start it. It's it's so much bigger than that. Um, But it's it's been an ongoing journey of kind of letting go of and letting it grow into something something bigger. Yeah. And it's been four years now, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been just just over four years. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. How many people are on your team in New York? So there are always new people who want to volunteer in New York. I would say it's a group of maybe 10 to 15 team members who are involved in various ways from helping answer direct messages to chalking on the streets to helping with maybe some social media campaigns and posting new content. So it's really a collaborative effort right now. That's amazing. Wow. It's it's grown so big, yeah. It's it's kind of it's been incredible to see. I've seen it grow and grow and grow over the years now, and it's like a it's like an unstoppable force. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, I I hope it's unstoppable. Yeah. It's it's really it's been exciting to meet so many amazing people because for the most part, everyone who wants to be involved with something like this cares so deeply about the issue and and is really um really excited to help. So it's been it's been really exciting for sure. Have you found it's easy to get men on board with your messaging and stuff and has it ever been a source of conflict or dispute with the men in your life who are closest to you yeah I mean I think what's interesting about the Instagram account itself is that the following is 91% identifying as female 9% identifying as male so that's always been interesting to see how Mm. people are drawn to the account because it resonates with them maybe because they've had experiences with street harassment and then maybe certain men who don't experience street harassment wouldn't be as inclined to follow the account so that's interesting I guess the man who I think of in my life who has 
been closely involved with the account is my dad because like I told you when I was first harassed on the street he said to me you know maybe you should change what you're wearing to provoke less attention and now he has been able to grow a lot I think through my activism and through seeing what I do on the account he's been able to recognize the vast impact of street harassment on so many people's lives and also his own privilege in public spaces. Mm. So, so that's been cool. Um, and there have been individual men who have approached me and other people chalking on the street to stand in support with the account, to say that they care about this issue and want to know how they can intervene if they see something happening. So there, there have been men who engage very actively with the message. That being said, the ones who are also most critical tend to be men too. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, you've had a lot of experiences too, mm-hmm. and I, I think we could talk a lot about yeah. the negative feedback we've both had um, from men. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've both had, um, I would say, our fair share of criticism or yeah backlash in certain instances with uh men both online and offline it's funnily still an extremely controversial topic for some people which is interesting because i didn't think naively like when i first started doing what i what i do i I didn't think that street harassment was something that could be disputed i was like how is this something you know how is this something that anybody could argue with or say that is not wrong basically i was so shocked that anyone would kind of think it was okay but that was you know coming from a very naive place and I've now seen that lots of people take umbrage with it (laughs) yes absolutely I I was also surprised that I mean I guess there were two parts of me there was the part that had been told this is no big deal just keep walking and ignore it so that part of me I guess also recognized that a lot of people didn't think street harassment was a big deal Um, But then I think I was more shocked and like you naively surprised by all of the people who just don't see it as a problem, even after reading all of these stories and seeing all of these phrases that are said to people. I think that's more difficult to understand. Uh, The most sort of miscommunications I find are when people see they see like a clickbait headline or they hear women don't want men telling them to smile anymore and they they go from that and they're like this is ridiculous this is the death of chivalry and you're not allowed to flirt with women anymore and all that kind of stuff and they have that sort of immediate negative reaction without hearing any further context and just on the basis of that one sentence and then normally when you kind of like go into it deeper with people and you kind of explain to them that it's not just about this particular thing it's about an entire culture of catcalling and sexual violence and objectification and you know all of these things then most will say oh okay i understand it's not just about this one thing it's a myriad of issues and then what i do find the most surprising is that when you've talked about all of those things and you've you've had people read through your account and read through all the stories they still hold that position of whatever this isn't a big deal why can't men just flirt with women on the street and give them compliments this is fine right i think that comes from people being really stubborn and wanting to hold on to their original position of thinking this isn't a problem, this isn't a big deal. Um, I think people can be really stubborn, even, yes, after reading all of the stories with their original 
standpoint of this is okay. And and I think that that comes from not having to deal with it. Totally. Uh, so even as, as they read the stories, in a sense, they're not believing the stories and, and they're still not really understanding the impact of all of these stories because they don't have to face it themselves. And I think that's, it's really problematic, um, obviously. How do you sort of mentally deal with the criticism and the people who discredit the work that you do and say that it isn't a problem and that you are overreacting because obviously we both know you're not and most people um, would agree that the work that you're doing is so needed but there are those people that can really get under your skin and sometimes you can just hear one criticism or have one troll or have an incessant person harass you online and that will be the thing that sticks with you and that will be the thing that sticks out and ruins your day how do you mentally deal with it I guess I would say there are a few categories of people on the internet and people who disagree with the message behind catcalls of NYC on the internet Um, and people who maybe are genuinely wondering and who are respectful and who might say something like you said, oh, why is telling women to smile a problem? But I see why the other stuff is a problem. Or, you know, maybe they're genuinely looking to learn. I think those are productive conversations to have. And, you know, I've had productive conversations with people like that. Other people who run catcalls of accounts have had actually productive conversations where both people come out on the other side feeling good. Um, And I think that those are kind of gems. That's actually, that's productive and that's important. And that's bridging some, some gaps in understanding of each other. So that kind of keeps me going. That's, exciting and also exhausting of course, of course. To, to be having those conversations um but then there are people who clearly are not there to change their minds they're there to change your mind and maybe harass you and and say mean things in the process um and that's where i've become aware of the beauty of blocking someone oh, yeah. and just you know dis- disengaging um not wasting the energy because you can tell you can really tell i think if someone is just there to be controversial and uh, not have a conversation but just to say what they're going to say and clearly they're stubborn um yeah and i think that's a really good time to disengage yeah. i'm not sure i mean you know it's it's complicated because maybe at some point along the line, you could convince someone who's stubborn of at least part of your argument, but it's a lot of emotional energy. Mm. Um, so I think that's hard to that's hard to balance. But I think in general, for activists, it's good to protect that emotional energy on people who are not there to change their minds. Totally, I think that's a really valid point. That's like a valid thing to say because there is probably so many points as as an activist you feel like you have this responsibility to educate people to change people's minds to raise awareness because that's predominantly what you're doing that's why you started doing what you're doing because you want to change things um and it becomes so hard when you're faced with a wall of of criticism and you have to weed out who are the people who you can have constructive conversations with and the people who just want to ruin your day and they're not going to change their mind at all and they're literally just there to yeah to give you grief and it's so important to protect your energy and give it out when you can but it's also so difficult to know when you're being too hasty like when you're just 
you know should I have engaged with that person or not and you know I've, I've definitely had instances myself where I've, I've got into long conversations that have gone nowhere <laughs> and you just end up coming out the other side completely frazzled and exhausted and emotionally trained and also quite angry and then I've had other ones where you know you really get somewhere with somebody and it's the most satisfying thing in the world to be able to actually change someone's mind and then you have times when you're just like I can't do this you know I'm really not up for interacting with you today so I'm just gonna delete and block and move on with my life right and then I don't know you can get you can get a weird sense of guilt sometimes you're like maybe I'm not doing my job properly but um you have to protect your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's actually okay to do what feels right in the moment all of the time. So maybe sometimes I will take on one of those, you know, angry trolls on the internet. And I think that it is a matter of just doing what feels right for you. And yeah, not feeling guilty for not engaging, but just, yeah, doing what's right in the moment. And I'm just, I'm being reminded of a certain conversation that I had with this man on the street, actually, who said to me at first, um, he pointed to a girl walking down the street when he was looking at my project and trying to understand what I was doing. And he said, she is asking for it wearing that. And then we got into a long conversation about how he doesn't want his daughter to wear certain things because men aren't mentally mature Mm. enough sometimes to resist. And it was a frustrating conversation because he was being stubborn and he was not really listening to what I was saying. But at the same time, there was a mutual respect. And even though I wasn't able to change his mind, I was actually happy to have that conversation. So you never really, you never really know. And I think in person, it can be more fulfilling in general to have these conversations than in the comments section of a post. Um, so oh, definitely. yeah, so sometimes, <laughs> you know, it, it, sometimes it's worth it. And, and sometimes it's not. And there's no necessary pattern to it. Um, you kind of just have to go with the flow a little bit and, and do what feels right. Okay, so this is the part of the show where listeners and members of the Cheer Up Love community have the opportunity to send in an experience of sexual harassment, either anonymously or not. Um, So the story that I'm about to read out was sent in by Natasha. And here it goes. I was carrying my one-year-old son on my back in his baby carrier, and we just spent a few hours at the beach by ourselves. I was feeling really proud for actually leaving the house for the first time in almost a week. And then I see a man in a van curb crawling. He then leaned out the window and shouted, let's have a go on those milky tits. I instantly felt sick and panicked. I'd never been in any confrontation with my baby present before. So I walked a little faster, but didn't want him to see where I lived. So I headed in the wrong direction. He followed me shouting, come on, love, I'll show you a good time. I told him to fuck off. He then started driving onto the curb. By this point, I'm crying. I start to run towards a one-way street, hoping to lose him. He then yelled, you're not that fit anyway. And he sped off. By this point, my baby is crying, I'm crying, and the whole experience was so gross. As a single mum, you often feel vulnerable at the best of times, let alone when you're being curb crawled with your baby on your back. We didn't leave the house for ages, especially because the island is so small, you're very likely to see the same people again and again. Even two years later, I think about that whenever I see a white van. So thank you, Natasha, so much for sharing that story with us. 
I think there's so many parts of that that a lot of women can relate to and also a lot that people will be shocked by yeah it's pretty amazing to hear it read out I I read so many stories of harassment but hearing it aloud I think yeah it's hard to listen to um I'm I'm so sorry that that happened and it's it's really and especially it's really disturbing in a lot of ways yeah and there's so many different elements of this story in itself you know it's a it's a prime example of catcalling culture something which you and I both tackle in the work that we do and and it's you know such a common misconception is that it's something that's seen as as harmless or an attempt of flattery kind of you know misguided compliment and when you hear a story like that you just think how any of that is supposed to be interpreted as complimentary is just beyond me (laughs) yeah and and it does like you say have a lot of common themes like the supposed kind of come on and then at the end you know you're not that fit anyway the the kind of insult to be like aha got you um that happens all the time um we get so many stories like that yeah that's such a common thing that I've experienced that countless times where someone will approach you someone will hit on you um someone will just give you a whatever whatever what they think to be a compliment and you will reject them politely reject them and then you immediately get the fury you know the anger that comes with that the like immediately the situation gets ugly and i think that's a reason in itself why in a lot of cases people are polite to people who harass them because there's this element of being scared of the repercussions because there's so many instances that it does Mm. it just it turns it just gets ugly like that right and then the responsibility is placed on the victim to to be polite and to not escalate the situation and that's why it's so hard to know how to respond when facing harassment and it's so hard to give advice to people who are asking how do I best respond when I face harassment yeah completely because you want in every one of those situations you want to be like yeah just turn around and say you know like fuck off and walk away but we know that when you're in those situations you're not feeling your most sort of confident self you're feeling threatened you're feeling victimized you're feeling generally you'll probably be alone as well so it's not really a time when you're just like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna really respond to this in in a certain way and it's so hard to every situation is different and and Mm -hmm. and also Mm -hmm. nearly in every single one it's not gonna be that safe right right and i think that that's what's maybe the most upsetting and frustrating part of this story is that she was left feeling unsafe, looking out for white vans. The mental and emotional impact of this one moment was so heavy on her. Meanwhile, I think about this guy who was in this van and what his motivation was and, you know, if he's still doing this, if he does this for fun, if he just continues to do this to anyone, any woman he sees walking down the street, I think it's so hard to know where to go from there because so many street harassment stories, people, the harassed are feeling left with this burden, of course, you know, because it's traumatic and it's upsetting. And then the harasser is left to go on to continue to harass and just go on with their lives. And they don't remember these specific instances probably because they're, they're just engaging in this behavior a lot. And I think that's what's so upsetting. I know. And crucially, the harasser will 
sort of it will be a throwaway statement it won't mean that much to them they'll say it and they'll forget about it in five seconds you know it won't impact them they won't carry it around with them in their day um it's a throwaway comment you know it's said it's gone and they've driven off you know they're in a van they've got a getaway mode (laughs) you're the person that has to like sit with it and you're the person that is going to be you're going to be the one who's hearing those words that reverberate around your head for the rest of the day um, and to sort of distract you while you're thinking of, you know, a better comeback you could have said or a better way that you could have dealt with the situation. And I think it's it's also a good point to say that, you know, these things have a lasting trauma, you know, they they have an effect on you. And in this case, which is quite extreme, you know, she felt so kind of so traumatised by this that she didn't leave the house for ages. And this is not an isolated mm-hmm. kind of kind of thing it's the more kind of extreme side of the spectrum but it does happen to so many people this will they'll experience harassment and it will have a lasting effect that can you know it can trigger anxiety it can trigger ptsd it can make you feel lonely because you know you don't want to leave the house as much these things have such a lasting effect and those are the things that just aren't really kind of they're not really focused on enough people focus too much on the, the language used or what the person was actually trying to do like they were trying to flatter or they were trying to give a compliment or all of these other kind of things and they don't realize that no matter what the intentions were Mm. the effect is going to be negative yeah absolutely and I think that that's why there should be more research done on the topic because it's I think it would be really impactful to have numbers around mental health and I know there is some research but if there were more attention paid to the lasting impact of street harassment, I think it would be a positive thing and it would make people feel less alone in general. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, there's like, there's just like so many parts of that to unpack. But I guess from here, I would like to maybe ask your opinion on a few things, like kind of advice to people who are experiencing things like this themselves or have heard that story and they think, you know, God, like what, Like, what do I do if that happens to me? Or, you know, what is anyone supposed to do? But we've sort of touched on this, but do you think there is an appropriate way to respond ever to catcalling? Right. I mean, it's, like I said, it's so hard to give advice on how to respond to street harassment because if you respond, it can lead to an escalating situation. And if you don't respond, maybe they'll say, you know, you bitch, respond to me. So it's really hard to know what to tell people. So what I always tell people is to do what feels right for you in the moment. You know, if there are a lot of people Mm. around, if you feel safe and if you want to respond, go for it. If you, you know, if there aren't a lot of people around, but you feel comfortable in yourself responding, you know, trust your gut, go for it. Um, Sometimes people say it's helpful for them to have a go-to response, whether it's flipping someone off, saying that's harassment, saying that's not okay. If you have a go-to phrase, Mm. it can be easier to respond in the moment because I know myself and a lot of people who I talk to freeze when facing harassment. But if you have that phrase in your head, it can be a good way to respond even if you feel like you're freezing up. You know, I don't respond. So my response is to ignore it. And even though... You know, I toyed around with this for a while because sometimes I feel like I failed or I feel guilty for not responding. Oh, but yeah, when all I, the time. <laughs> <laughs> right? But when I actively decide to ignore it, that I'm not going to respond to any of the comments, that feels more empowering and more yeah. active because I've decided yeah. this for myself. 
Um, one time I did flip a guy off for saying something to me and I turned around, flipped him off and he stares directly at me and gives me this grin and it's like oh. seared in my mind, this oh. grin. And Damn. after that, I was like, yeah, you can't, you know, it, it feels like you can't win because if you do, you know, any satisfaction I would have gotten from responding was kind of taken away not completely, but it, you know, it's complicated. It, it felt so creepy to see him get satisfaction out of my anger. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think it's tricky. I have that as well. Like anytime that I have responded to catcalling, it, it hasn't sort of improved the way I feel about it. It's made me sort of angrier if I flip someone off as well, or if I say something back, it makes me feel like I've sort of stooped to their level in some way. It makes me feel like I've just become this aggressive person when I didn't, like, I don't want to be, you know, like, I don't want to be an angry person. I'm what, I'm just going about my day and it even angers me even more that you have brought that out in me. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that what I would love to see on the streets is if someone harasses someone else on the street, people step in and all of a sudden everyone is kind of surrounding the harasser and saying, hey, why did you do that? That's completely not okay. Um, you know, I could see this kind of beautiful world where street harassment is made to be an unacceptable behavior because bystanders will make it that way. Um, and, and there will be a stronger sense of community on the streets where everyone feels safe and you know that's that's the ideal world <laughs> but um we're not there quite yet no but you know that brings me to my to my last question speaking about communities what advice would you give to people who want to be active within their communities right now i think you know of course if you want to get directly involved with cat calls of nyc and chalk back and start an account in your city or get involved with an account in your city start sharing people's stories, start writing down the stories on the street. I think that's a great entry point to start to be active and speak back on the issue, to engage with people walking down the street. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a pretty good way to start speaking out about the issue. You know, that being said, there are so many different ways, um, whether it's, uh, you know, just writing on your own social media about what's happening to you, to friends. Mm -hmm. There are so many different platforms that you can use to speak out totally oh thank you so much for speaking to me today yeah of course thanks so much for having me where can people find you if they want to get involved with cat calls of nyc so you can dm cat calls of nyc on instagram or dm chalkback.org on instagram or visit www.chalkback.org to sign up for creating an account or just send us a message um those are some ways that you can reach me amazing oh well thank you so much sophie and enjoy the rest of your day yeah thanks so much eliza you too thank you so much for listening to this episode of the cheer up love podcast and a special thanks to my guests for coming on and to the members of the cheer up love community for sending in your stories if you would like to submit your story to the podcast, then just DM us on Instagram or submit via our website. If you like what you've been listening to, please subscribe and leave a review. It would mean a lot. And also, lastly, an extra special thank you to Alex Grews, who composed the wonderful music that you've been listening to.